0: Tonight to sort of talk a little bit about um, Anapanasati, mindfulness of breathing, and how not to do it, from my own personal experience. (laughs) (laughs) Something I've become quite expert at over the years. And uh, talking about it now, we've been practicing on a retreat for this uh, 10, 12 days now, longer. So, uh, and it's just a uh, kind of reminder that uh, the mindfulness of breathing Often seen as arising out of mindfulness of the body, and the Buddha seemed to have particularly expounded it to some monks group of monks when they were in they had been practicing quite well. It's a kind of um it's a practice that <coughs> does require <coughs> good foundation and a certain um Method, methodical approach, and uh, often a methodical approach only becomes possible and, and even uh, becomes uh, imaginable, or you know, I, uh, kind of emotional, or one feels interested in doing something methodical. One is actually kind of calmed down enough to be able to to do anything methodical. Uh, sometimes at the beginning, pr- meditation is just practice of lighting matches in a whirlwind and you know the idea of doing something methodical is well yeah you know next year maybe (laughs) so it takes a while I think to to even think of such a thing and then to be able to do it certain kind of stability practice certain um, fruition if you like of good foundations of skillful roots And certainly myself, uh, being a bit of a romantic at heart, then there's very much the the inclination is that you just spontaneity and just kind of sailing with good spirit, and it will work itself out. It's more something one inclines to do rather than go through kind of step step one, step two, and do boring things. And it's taken it's quite a while to actually be able to, for me anyway, to actually be able to kind of be that patient and that um, and that simple. I want to rush on and get the results. I don't want to bother with plugging away at the basic stuff. I want to rush in and get on with it and, and uh, get something out of it. So uh, this is... Uh, um, Important to get the basic foundation of mindfulness going, to recognize the a, a sense of dispassion, objectivity, the willingness to experience things as phenomena rather than as me making something, getting along, getting this, not being this, being that. But just to be able, to, one of the ways of understanding mindfulness is the ability to see things objectively act just as phenomena to study them as phenomena to learn how they work how things fit together how things work in and of themselves how things fit together how the breath affects the body how the body affects the breath how the attitude of mind affects the breath how that therefore affects the body how the basic intentions affect things the whole to be able to study and understand these and certainly um, you don't have to have a complete understanding before you start but you get you get the basic mindfulness of the body and then one begins to learn as one goes along from the mistakes from the blindness, from the uh, impatience from the falteringness of the mind, it's not being willing to do this or jumping to this or not really staying with and fully understanding appreciating this experience before we allow it to our minds to move onwards our directions our intentions to inclinations to move onwards so it's very important I think to to begin to get that in mind the, the feeling that there's no real hurry when uh but the the path naturally opens as one has fulfilled um the the preceding requirements, then it becomes possible the 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 in the fulfillment of the preceding requirements for mindfulness of breathing then through doing that the mind becomes endowed with the kind of qualities that enable it to skillfully take on the practice it doesn't become endowed with the qualities of patience of steadiness of investigation of calming of of reflection uh, until one has uh, begun with the basic recognizing the breath feeling the body um, knowing how to sit Just kind of some of these things: how to get to one breath. It's not until we can really uh, go about doing that willingly and patiently, and as if this is all that matters, just to reach one breath, that that the mind can actually be said to be mature enough to have the requisites to enable it to to um, progress. Like progress itself is a kind of dangerous word because we tend to see it as something that progress is something that we do rather than something that happens. And progress, I would say, is more something that happens. I mean, there's obviously there's an intention and an inclination, but it's much less uh, a, a deliberated, thought-out thing. It becomes that the intention of the mind becomes a much more subtle inclining than a willed, sought out, um, this is what I'm going to do. And, and so there is a kind of uh, a way in which one's, one's inclinations, one's intentions uh, become more skillful and more in harmony with what's possible in the practice so just to put it into more uh, concrete terms is mindfulness of the body and what it takes to to to, uh, to sit so that the breath can the body can be fully experienced uh, and taking the time to to find a way to to sit where the body can be experienced, one isn't cramped, one isn't strained, one isn't sort of slack, one isn't tight. There's a balance. Uh, and we we see anapanasati as one aspect of uh, of mindfulness. Uh, a very good um, Vehicle because in a, it can encompass all the four bases of mindfulness, but it's first described as arising out of mindfulness of body. That's where we we begin with it. So mindfulness of body is uh, the practice of, um, as it says in the Satipatthana Sutta, of putting aside uh, dejection, craving, hankering. Preoccupations, uh, and then sitting upright with mindfulness. Though, this in itself, you know, just to bring this around is a worthy effort that takes um, skill and application. So, we're not approaching it, the practice, from a a cramped, hurried, flustered, anxious, half hearted, State of mind, or desperate. These things can be seen and put put aside, and we're just going to the to the body, in a way of really wanting to receive the experience of body. Something that uh, is um, not so usual. Normally, we're up in our heads. And the body is the thing that carries it around. You know, you've got a kind of peripheral peripheral and partial experience of body. So, this uh, sitting in meditation may take someone quite a while to to get out of that paradigm of riding the donkey. Um, we're really integrating into body, breathing full, and one of the ways of integrating into it is by fully breathing so the breath and the body work together when we say sitting upright then this is something to be uh, scrupulous about, careful of because we can of course that idea can be something that's imposed upon the body from the brain sit up donkey you know, rather than anything else so it's still the person riding the donkey now you're kind of telling it to sit up straight uh, and then then this is not very mindful so right in that we begin to see perhaps and check some of our, our basic patterns of mind our sankaras our ways of going about things our impatience our forcefulness do it, get on with it shut up thinking sit up straight (laughs) behave, get going come on and uh, really learning to, to listen to the body the breathing will actually hold the body up if we notice we are aware of certain um, key aspects of of that to check say the abdomen the chest the spine the head the neck the whole trunk of the body so and say from so from just the um, external viewpoint looking at the body externally then so that the the uh, trunk of the body is held up right and particularly if we begin from the base of the body, the abdomen the kind of hips, the pelvic region this should not be tilted back, it tilts back then you get a curved spine and it cramps the breathing and it restricts the natural vitality and energy flow of the body so the the lower abdomen should be vertical, just coming straight up the lower abdomen. And you can actually experiment with slightly rocking backwards and forwards, rocking your pelvic backwards and forwards to see what it feels like. You know, when it and how easily if you use to sitting in chairs and riding cars and things, is to it sl- it slips back, it just rocks back. One finds oneself slouching as a default, as the natural way to sit, is a kind of slouched, slightly stooped um, way of sitting. So you have to keep going, you know, going against that, not by pulling up your shoulders, but by rocking forwards, rocking the pelvic girdle slightly forward so that you're sitting more forward on the base on the, on the base of the of the hips the legs and the spine and one way of, of recognizing this with the breath is that when you breathe when you breathe out deliberately you can feel there's a there's a uh, that experience goes right down into the base of the abdomen it should be should be experienced below the navel so that you get that kind of, like, particularly if you do it a deliberate, slow, slow, long out breath, that the sensations associated with that extend um, right down into the lower abdomen. Then this is a sign that the body is it's all connected. If it stops somewhere at your belt, then it probably <laughs> means there's a restriction somewhere. Now if you get that, if one gets that right and you're actually, then you're beginning to experience a full breath, particularly with, you begin by breathing out very fully, and you feel the sensation associated with the out breath, and then you hold the out breath just a little longer than it would normally be uh, held, be retained by the body, hold it a little longer so you can feel a certain kind of, pressure build up, just a few seconds, and then you let go of it and you get a slightly sharper intake of breath and it helps you to experience the full flow of what happens when the breath fully flows in, you get a kind of a sense of um, pushing up through the chest when the breath is, is, is slightly tinkered with in that way, so it helps you to feel in a more, slightly more exaggerated way how the breath holds the body and perhaps in that uh, uh, allowing yourself to be led by the breath then you recognise that maybe habitually you're slightly slumped and it's not stooped right over but your chest is slightly cramped in perhaps by your arms or your shoulders or your head's poked forward so it's kind of slightly closed down so when you breathe in it doesn't go up very far. You don't get the feeling go. it doesn't go up very far. It kind of goes up to just under the ribs. And then there's a slight tightening. And you don't get a full in-breath. That is, the, the lungs aren't being used properly, just a little bit. Or you find that when you breathe in, it's just from your nose down into the top of your chest. You get a very shallow thing. And the body is experienced as bits and pieces, different fragments, different sections. It's not a whole body. So as you work with the breath and you begin perhaps with uh, just some slightly deliberate breathing, or extending the out breath and then extending the in breath so you can feel what it feels Mm -hmm. like and the way of properly sitting is to adjust your posture to the way that is harmonious with the breath. That's quite important, because then the breath will support the body, and the body will support the breath. And you won't have to be holding your body up. If you're having to hold your body up, then a part of your energy and a part of your mental attention is taken up with that process, and you can't really be fully attentive to breathing, and you never get the experience of of ease, joy, it's always just a strain so then you in this way you begin to look at the physical and the physiological process of breathing in a way of observing phenomena this is how it works This is how it actually fits together. We're not trying to make anything out of it. We're just trying to understand how it works properly. And perhaps we begin to realize some of the mental formations or habits, emotional habits, attitude habits, that have been present. We haven't really been witnessing until we've we've begun to make the breathing a much more fully aware and expressive thing so this in itself is quite helpful for insight and one can recognise sometimes I think I'm doing it but I'm not really all there with it I'm not really opening up to the breath and the body I'm I'm thinking about it or I'm sort of half doing it or I'm doing it for a while until I do something else for another half an hour until I go and do something else I'm not fully giving myself to it is a bit hanging back and to understand that and to relinquish that, that hanging back or that is itself a great, uh, is, a, is an advantage. To be able to do something wholly, completely, uh, to give oneself to something wholly and completely even at this stage has its benefits and it helps us to shake off some of the doubt temerity feeling of well I probably can't do it but I'll have a go you know fundamental feeling of inadequacy that isn't going to work but you know that that cramps our efforts a, a lack of faith a lack of that quality. Faith brings around a certain immediacy For just this time will be 100%. And 100% is not some massive effort that I'm making so much as a realignment so I can experience the present moment 100%. It's something that's given rather than something that's made. And it's given when we give ourselves to it. So that's, that's a bit of um, method. And in essence, you can see that the method has a certain sense of reciprocity responsiveness to it. How does something work and then the just the effort to, to, to get aligned with the way that things actually work not I'm going to make this work and then imposing that particular idea and pattern onto an experience but how does this work? what makes it how can I just get in line with the fact that it does work? rather than feel I've got to make it work in order to to prove something, or get something, or make something, or be something. Uh, and the beauty of this is that if we're prepared to just take a little bit of time, the thing it does, it works, it, it works by itself. It's a dumber practice, in fact. So this is of course is, can be seen as a very simple technique, that, you, know, you could say just sit upright and feel the breath, so what a really interesting technique, but actually as, as, a, as an experienced practice it's subtle and it's insightful and it's revealing and it's a matter of faith, effort and mindfulness and collectedness and discernment right there at the beginning. And wherever we go, in terms of meditation practice and Dhamma practice, it's always going to be exactly those same five things occurring again and again and again, staying with it, amplifying it, maturing, ripening, bringing the results, and going further. So we always have to you know, see that it's the same thing, right at the beginning, as it is at the end. And to connect to that. In terms of our attitude. Uh, in terms of our um, application. Now in the, the Sutta, the Buddha talks about knowing the long breath and the the inhalation, exhalation, long and short. Um, and it just says it like that. Um, and people do a variety of interpretations of that. Whether it means you deliberately make your breath, start off with it making it long and deliberately make it short, or you focus on the breath as a as experience occurring from the abdomen up through your nose. It's a long one and a short one would just be kind of focusing as it hits the point of the nostrils. Um, so those are a couple of ways of looking at it. Or it could be seen that, that nat- there's a natural process of the breath kind of becoming more refined, as one practices. That is, it starts off as a rather full long experience and it begins to become more subtle and shallow as, as, as one cultivates. Um, I don't really know, actually. I have tended to approach it from a technique, that is say, watching the breath Focused on the abdomen as being more um, easy to discern, or and then re- focusing on the breath in the nostrils as being more refined. Um, when I've approached it in this way, it's had certain results. Certain uh, I've always found the nostrils uh, quite a bit of a strain at first, partly because my own nostrils are. are Uh, in damage so that I don't get a a very good noseful of air each go, I get a 50-60% but uh, having worked with that I've been able to kind of gradually make more of my 50-60% of it Uh, but then one can get caught in the particular doubt over well, should I be up here or should I be down there? Which is right. And then you're focusing your abdomen and then you find your mind drifting up to your nostrils you think, oh, get down. <laughs> <laughs> and then you get down to your abdomen and you think, well, maybe it was right. Maybe I should have up to my nostrils. And you go up there and then after a while you can feel a different way. Um, so I've I tended to just... Um, Say that to me again. What what works best is to to experience the breath, not so much based on a physical place, but based on a uh, a spiritual state of mindfulness and uh, receptivity. So that is when I'm not peering. So sometimes when I watch breath in the nostrils, I, I feel like I'm kind of peering, like you know. Looking for it, hunting it, straining for it, and that doesn't seem right. Or if in, in the in the or in the belly, going down into the belly, it can feel too uh, uh, too too strong, and I feel I'm getting kind of charged up by it all the too too uh, too much strength, too much power involved with it. So I tend to just get the the established mindfulness as best I can. And then receive the breath as an experience, just as a set, set of sensations and feelings, uh, wherever it is, whatever it is. Not not really concerning myself too much about which, bro- which point of the body it's most strong at. Just the general sign of the breath, the general experience of breathing in and out, and particularly going to that sense of the mind receiving it, the contact impression of receiving the breath. Because it's where the body and the mind come together. And the mind is in a state where it's not, where it's actually listening and receptive and sensitized. It's not pushing something. It's not, steering something. It's kind of much more attuned to something and I find in that particular state of mind that uh, the qualities of um, Viveka or non-attachment of a certain sort of lightness and objectivity are stronger because one is not particularly trying to find it here or there or make it this way or that way, when it's just first of all, receiving and attuning to it. Having said that much, it's still um, two two, uh, factors of meditation, Vitaka and Vichara, are are quite significant. And Vitaka is translated in a number of ways. As applied thought, or fixing the mind, uh, and vichara as sustained thought or evaluation. And these can, I would, say, but when they're when they're described, they're often described they're, the way they're, they're described in, under the heading of sankappa which itself is sometimes translated as thought, and sometimes translated as intention. So Sankhapa doesn't just mean a verbal process, a conceptual process. Sankhapa means a, a process of intelligence with a particular determining, purposefulness to it, which can which can carry thought carry a thought along can be led by a thought but somehow is more than just what we normally understand by a thought that uh, is the particular you know little chatter in the mind so Vitaka Vichara or Vitaka always has this kind of uh, some sort of purpose to it when it's uncultivated it tends to be directed by various habit reflexes, hindrances. It's kind of so it swivels and oscillates a lot, darts to this and to that and to the other. It just kind of points according to what motivation is driving it. But it's always there's always some underlying volitional tendency that's driving it. Um, now in in meditation you in order to uh, calm and steady that quality of vitataka applied thought or fixed intel, fixing intelligence fixing a certain determining and and focusing uh, aspects of mind you have to simplify it this is uh so it doesn't get too it doesn't get too diverse and diffused, and this I, I think is personally my mind can get quite complicated, um, diffused, conceptually um, fragmented into kind of doubts. A certain simplicity of approach is very beneficial. That is not really being too concerned about which point in the body the breath is striking, but just breath breath, breath, rather than what I'm doing tomorrow, this, that or the other, just to kind of keep coming back to breath. Uh, And then this helps to work against um, tendencies towards uh, restlessness, which is uh, very common, because normally is is never, you know, hardly ever in one place more than two or three mind moments, it darts off to this, to that and the other. You're thinking about this and then that and then this and then that. It's continually on the go, and to, and so that just a simplicity and a simple direction, the breath, the sensation of the breath, uh, helps to 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 work against that and also work against doubt, which, when it's within the practice, is a quality that's going, well, is it? Should I? Is it? Maybe? Is it? Perhaps? No. Is it the It's not like a, a, a raging doubt. It's a kind of slight temerity, lack of confidence, uh, lack of like a really feeling one can just totally trust and give oneself to that. So a certain simplicity of approach helps to trim down the conceptual mind when the conceptual mind is trimmed then it doesn't have so much so many options so many shades of meaning so it doesn't get into the kind of slightly diffused doubting restless state so fixing and this can be done with a thought and if we Done some of the uh, more fundamental practices of du- directly thinking, like a foundation practice of Buddha Nusati, for example, the continuing practices of Marana Nusati, remembering our death, the practices of, uh, of recollection of the triple gem, of virtue, of metta, and so on. Things where you train yourself to deliberately consider something, not just as a as a flash, I've oh, got that idea, what's that mean? Now, the next one, but actually to put your, mind, your thinking mind onto a topic, hold it there and just listen. Right. Buddha, what does that mean? You know, so, vitaka accompanied by this quality of receiving evaluation or vichara, and vichara is is a, is the quality that can actually when the vitaka is pointed and directed towards something and contacts it the vichara is that which holds steadies receives and even investigates like what is that what does that feel like it's not a whole conceptual analysis it's just a like when you're taste, you're making some soup and you taste it and you, that taste right? You're not doing a whole chemical rundown on soup. You're just getting, kind of, feel it. And then there's a, hmm. Those two work together, Vitaka, Vichara. And uh, if you, so, the Vichara helps to calm down the fixing, pointing of the mind. Because it's saying, just stay with that a little longer. Hold that. And it gives it, food, if you like, it gives it a certain uh, mood, a certain fullness, a certain um, feeling, tone. So your mind actually stays with that particular mood or sign or quality that the, the quality of evaluation has brought up. Like it's calmer, or it's brighter, or it's more steady, or it's more um stabilised. And these two work together and they're not then they tend to they kind of oscillate a little bit. The Buddha used a very I find it similarly that the Buddha used for vitakka Vichara, which is quite valuable, is said it's rather like a bird where a bird flies. When a bird flies, it takes off. And it flaps its wings, say a large bird like a swan or a gull of some kind, It flaps its wings briskly and vigorously to get up in the air, and it gets it up and then it, it floats, it drifts. It just slightly adjusts its feathers, tilts a wing tip, and it floats, as it comes in, it flaps again, and it floats and hangs in the air and it kind of So and so the flapping is vitaka. Is like you liken that to vitaka, the sense of going for it and and putting that particular energy into it, and then vichara is like the holding, sustaining, and just slightly adjusting in accordance with the currents. So if we apply that particular uh, metaphor to to watching the breath, I think it's quite quite skillful, quite helpful. If there's no vichara, then you're just stabbing away blindly and you're not picking up um, the qualities of the breath. You're not really, all you're doing is trying to get it concentrated. But you're not picking up any calm, so you don't get concentrated. You just get tight. And I would suggest that it's probably a good idea to not even think too much about concentrating in that that, that particular stage because almost certainly one will be tightening and tensing instead of calming and and receiving so you get a certain tenseness and holding but you don't get samadhi which is something much more fulfilled and uh, buoyant and supportive. Something that uh, I do find myself doing have done got wrong, made lots of uh, as a general tendency, is lack of lack of completing um, staying with something through the whole fluctuation of it, so that that quality of Vitaka vichara has to stay should stay with the whole breath that is the whole uh, arising out of a point of stillness flowing into completion and then flowing back into a point of stillness and kind of so to stay with that and whatever speed it is it tends to become slower the whole breath and uh, if we're focusing on the breath as a sensation and a feeling, just a sensation occurring in body consciousness, that the mind is in contact with, then you're experiencing something like called the, the, the called the, the whole body of the breath, which can be seen as the breath itself or that whole body consciousness associated with the breath. Mm-hmm. And because you're not looking at it anatomically, you're just looking at it in terms of the direct experience of awareness of particular sensations and feeling and pers- then you're not looking at kind of ribs and and muscles, you just look you know, certain pressures and tingling, and uh, ease, and spaciousness. And feeling all that in association with the process of breathing. And so that that goes through a whole variety of changes, from feeling quite sharp and bright, with a certain pressure behind it, to become something that's expansive and light, uh, something that's still and, and open and vast and then something that's kind of dwindling and small, it can be a quality of warmth in it, or of movement in it, of softness, silkiness in it or of a rushing. And uh, you, so you, you experience, you try to fully experience that and keep those qualities of vittaka just turning to it and feeling. and not trying to explain it or think about it. And then the process of vittaka refines so that there's less and less conceptualizing. You may not have to use any word at all or just occasionally like breath or when you When you're using a word words or ideas in association with, with, with vichara, evaluation, it's it's more like, "Now what is it? Now what is it?" And you're not looking for a verbal reply. It's just to keep the mind there attuned to receiving the, those impressions of, of, that arise in association with breathing. So that's an exercise in itself um, because certainly in my own life, my own habit is I can be very, very intensely focused on certain aspects of things and then completely indifferent and not notice other things. I have a habit of not finishing things. I like starting things, getting inspired and doing enjoyable bits and then the finishing, tidying up dealing with the little nitpicky details at the end, I don't bother with. The next exciting, interesting thing, um, not bother with the kind of dreary bits and pieces. So uh, any given time, I've often got four or five projects on the go, none of which I've actually ever completed, because I, I can't be really bothered to f- do the final full stops and cross the T's and dot the I's, I and mean, of things ninety percent eighty percent seventy percent finished and so um, you know that's a habit to work against in in monastic life and certainly monastic life is helpful for it because you're trained you know to, to actually you know look after the, the daily duties and to put attention into it even the most kind of boring or uh, humdrum things to redo really it some quality attention. So that evening out of attention of that vitaka vichara over the whole span and the whole flow of it. And being prepared to keep dropping the, the idea of getting something and finding this or getting some insight or developing this or getting concentrated and just to really. You know, Enhance the, quali- the faith qualities, sensitivity to just feeling, and then if you, the more that if you begin to really witness that and evaluate it, then what? What begins to arise is your experience of the body and breathing. Um, you look at it honestly and directly. It, it's not a kind of a tube with meat and bones in it, and kind of muscles contracting, and expanding, and air coming in and out of me. It's it's much uh, it's different from that. And people maybe maybe experience it in different ways, but you look directly at the perception. What is it? Is it like is a darkness, a kind of uh, brightness, expansiveness, fineness, delicacy, softness? Not to just form ideas, but to really look at what is actually being reported, what is coming in, how it's being experienced. And this is where this um, quali- this thing called the nimitta, nimitta arises. So it's the, particular, the actual experience that the mind is having, how the mind registers that. Not how the thinking decides it is, but how the citta, the sensitivity of the mind, how it actually experiences that. How what what is the immediate impressions of it? So this is moving away from the thinking analytical consciousness to the receptive feeling, uh chitta, sensitivity. And that's very significant because uh you know we can make all kinds of things about signs and nimitas and you know Trying to get one or have one, or who's got one, who hasn't got one. I've been trying for years, I never got a single nibble from a nimita in my life. And, uh, you know, this, that, and the other. But actually, you do, but, you, but as long as one is looking for one, then that attitude bungs it up. It's still not coming from sensitivity, we're coming from some sort of demand and desire it's quite the real significance of it well one of the significance of it is actually that one's whole mental attitude has changed and as that attitude changes then when you actually experience something as it is then your body environment and your mind environment change to something that's much more whole uh, much less head centered, um, and there's a dropping of elements of the personality. It doesn't seem, you know, that same person isn't there doing it. The thinking begins to to recede altogether, and instead, one, the, the, what holds attention is the quality of experience, and that experience. Um, comes through with a certain clarity because the veils of personality and some of the cramped attitudes and the demands have been put aside. So some of the personality structures have been dropped so that the experience comes through much more clearly and much more vibrant way than it did when one was actually seeing it through this whole conceptual personality structure with attitudes and fears and nervousness and, and wants and wishes and so you get the experience called pity which is uh, defi- you know is it's translated in a number of ways anything from rapture to uh, to interest enthusiasm joyfulness it's this quality but but uh, rather than just you know change Pali word for an English word, to really see why the experience comes around is important. Because otherwise you just want to get the joy. And that doesn't do it. To go through the process methodically and to begin to experience the breath uh, in a more full and direct uh, and objective way and immediate way, with the lessening of the habitual reflexes and judgments and attitudes means that you begin to experience things because of that in a far more vibrant way and uh you get a certain uh, sort of perception will lead will be more dominant it may be one of of a brightness or vitality or of a kind of colour or a light, maybe a visual thing maybe a mood, maybe a sound maybe a kind of quality of of liquidity or warmth but a particular kind of aspect of the breath as it's experienced begins to become more dominant and then that is what you you can focus upon that or the mind is naturally attracted and drawn towards that because it's so it's um, vibrant. So it's naturally, attention goes to it. This is pitti. And uh, how to get it wrong, apart from wanting it, is having got it, wanting more of it. <laughs> or, because uh, it does, uh, it can go over into this kind of raga, which is a certain sort of passionate, uh, consuming quality, when it just gets, uh, we start to proliferate around it, and get too excited by it, um, it can, in other words, if, if we kind of begin to gobble it and make something more of it than it is, rather than see it as a phenomenon then it can produce strange signs, strange moods, strange thoughts, a sense of grandeur, a sense of elation, um, things connected with bhava becoming, thinking one is something or is getting somewhere, is going to have a great breakthrough, or getting out of all this, getting out of things. So this kind of bhava raga, thirst or passion for being something, associ- gets associated with piti. Uh I find myself that what one way it tends to go is that i I just uh squander it that is getting to that state of joyfulness, then I start to have interesting thoughts and something get really kind of creative thoughts of See pictures and start to imagine paintings. Want to write things down or understand things, and I get kind of the mind gets all bubbly and happy, and then it starts to want to kind of cash in on all that. Uh, So, it is a practice of mindfulness, and in which that mindfulness is sustained throughout. So you you actually contemplate this. quality of something that's conditioning the mind and so it is a, associated with perception and it's associated with a particular pleasant feeling um, and these are the two things that condition the mind the mind fixes on them uh, the mind is stimulated the mind believes in them the mind searches for them it's it Wrote it hovers around perception and feeling so that has to be seen the perception, any kind of sign or nimitta or quality any feeling, pleasant, rapturous delighted, whatever shaded, it says to be seen mindfully as that as a feeling and a perception not rejected not uh, indulged in and uh, at that point because pity has the quality of of magnetizing the mind. The mind comes together. It's kind of kind of magnetic galvanizing quality. If there is the mindfulness to see that as a phenomenon, then there's also the mindfulness that can direct a particular calming influence. So at this point then again, rather than thinking of concentration to have this in the back of the, of the mind, if you like, this kind of intention to just ease, just take it easy now, don't get excited by, the, by this, what's happening, it's to calm down. So you get the quality of what's called Sukha, which is much, much kind of calmer, contented quality. So without that, then there's a certain feverish, can be a certain feverishness to it, excitement. So, so you know, think in terms of contentment with just this. It doesn't have to go anywhere. It doesn't have to mean anything. It doesn't have to produce anything. It doesn't have to be a personal attainment. It's no big deal. Be contented, relax. So then, then that goes into quality of sukha. So in this way, you can see that the uh, practice brings the body and mind together. It brings the body into harmony. It brings the mind into connectedness with the body. The two come together so the the vitality of the body and the awareness of the mind begin to collaborate rather than be pulling against each other. And uh, one is able to, um, through this process, recognize that hindrances are actually occurring within that practice rather than just the kind of external hindrances, say where hindrance actually stops you practicing mindfulness and breathing, like you're, you, know, you're too irritated or agitated, but actually within the practice the subtle forms of hanging back, of not being bothered, with dullness, hanging back a certain doubt, a certain tendency to, to not feel one's doing it right, or seek reassurance, or believe that you can't do it, doubt, a certain flustered restlessness, which means that our attention comes in bursts of agitation, and then slacks off, and then it doesn't actually stay steady and stable with something. <coughs> Um, a certain inclination towards uh, gratification, that is, when one wants to uh, gobble uh, any enjoyable experience up. Um, And these can be, within the practice, can be um, seen and relinquished through time. And I think I've experienced all those hindrances uh, within the practice and apart from the practice of mindfulness of breathing. The beauty of it when you do it in such a form is that you really see it right at the very beginning you know, before it's got any particular reason or cause. Just, just that the innate uh, um, flaws of attention and you're able to check them there and you're able to, to relinquish them there and you're able to fill up the gaps through this process so one is able to um, find ways of, of understanding the, the things that condition the mind and calm them and release oneself from them, and this is uh so this is the kind of like the wisdom aspects of it, and it's very much connected to that as, as one fulfills that, then the process of of enjoying or absorbing becomes much more uh, easy, less effortful and uh, the two go together the wisdom aspects and the calming aspects fit together so this is uh, some ways in which we uh, practice attempt to practice uh, things to look out for in the practice Uh, it's always uh, you know in such a in the talk course of talking over something for, for even for an hour, which may seem a long time, maybe you're talking about 15 years, or 10 years, or so, or you know maybe months, but it certainly won't be one hour. You know, from start from nowhere to to achieve to to getting it fully going. So it is very much one else is to say it's very much a matter of of getting the foundations right and trusting in it and really the quality of really receiving and making use of what one does have if it's just the ability to to focus and hold attention on on one outbreath to make full use of that and to fully appreciate that and what is happening in that and then the knowing that one has lost it and then the kind of quality of mind that that comes back again so that all those points are enhanced with mindfulness and skillful qualities rather than riddled with doubt feeling of aversion or inadequacy and frustration and restlessness and so on and to to really make full use of the experience of breath as it happens one breath at a time and then if one does that then it's just a matter of working through the karmic patterns and habits steadily through that process <clears throat> and the moon.